Welcome to this Colorado Legal Education audiocast. Thank you for listening. Well, hello. Uh, I'm Mark Masters, and uh, this podcast today, uh, we are talking about beneficiary designations. With me is Molly Zwerdlinger. And I'm an estate planning and probate attorney in Colorado with Miller and Steyart. And uh, I'm a trust and estate uh, attorney uh, in Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado. And we're going to talk about uh, Colorado law today and uh, specifically having to do with uh, beneficiary designations, why they're so darn important and why they can sabotage even the best estate plan. So, Mark, I think a lot of the questions people first have when we're talking about beneficiary designations is, what is it? That is the first question. So beneficiary designation is a contract between an individual and a financial institution. It's usually a financial institution. And what the beneficiary designation says is when I die, where is this account going to go? There is a little bit of a misconception out there that a will or any other disposing document is going to govern all assets. And that's not necessarily the case. If you have a contract between you and the financial institution saying, when I die, this is where the asset goes, they're going to follow the beneficiary designation. Well, and Molly, for for a lot of people, um, you know, those beneficiary designations are really important. If you think of the, the younger couple with kids, you know, when they talk about my estate, what they're really talking about is my life insurance money. You know, it isn't the heavily mortgaged house, you know, and the cars that both have loans on them and, you know, and a few thousand bucks in savings. You know, it's it's my 401k money from my employer and it's really my life insurance. And that's that's really what we're talking about and why it's so darn important. That's exactly right. And, you know, Mark, what kinds of assets you mentioned, life insurance, 401k plans, what other kinds of assets would we see beneficiary designations on? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Um uh, so uh, stocks and bonds is probably the other, uh, you know, the other biggie in this category. Uh, uh, you know, securities uh, that can be subject to a, a TOD designation stands for trade on death or transfer on death. Um, and of course, bank accounts, and that's something that older folks uh, they 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 love to put POD POD pay on death designations, uh, basically on every bank account in sight. Um, there's probably good reasons why they shouldn't, but boy, they love to do it. Uh, and um, is, is that the same thing, Mark? So, is a POD or a transfer and death payable and death? Is that the same thing as just a general old beneficiary designation? You got it. You got it. They're they're just different names for the very same thing. Um, you know, on you know when I die. Where does this asset go? And you know, and the thing is that they can be in real conflict with what the um, you know what the disposing scheme of my will or 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 my trust is. Um, uh, on uh, uh, Channel Nine, you know, they, they have those those law line programs, you yes. know. And uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I like to go down and do that. It's uh, to me, it's fun. I don't get out much. And. Uh, um, you know, but the call I get almost every time goes something like this. Um, um, you know, uh, mom died. You know, there's two kids, there's three kids, there's, there's, there's four kids, and, and there's a plum. And it could be a house, and it could be a bank account or a life insurance policy. Um, and there's some sort of a beneficiary designation uh, uh, that, that has it go to that to one child. And the and and so, but the will says, you know, we know what mom's intent was. Mom's intent was to my kids in equal shares. 
Um, but the plum goes to one kid, um, you know, often on a beneficiary designation, again, that life insurance policy or that 401k, you know, and so basically what we have is, is one kid gets the plum and the other, the other three get three quarters of nothing, you know, and we know what mom's intent was. Mom's intent was to, was to share it and, you know, divide it in equal shares, but that ain't how it's going to, it's going to end up. And, and so the question always is, what can I do? And my answer, if I'm feeling puckish that day, uh, my answer is suck up to your sister. But, uh, uh, but of course, that's not a real practical answer, you know, and so we have to get into this whole business about beneficiary designations. Um, and of course, those things need to be updated too. So you mentioned updating, Mark. Really, when it comes to beneficiary designations, it's all about who's the right person. And so the question we get from clients, as you mentioned, is, well, if I have one kid named, is that sufficient if I want to have all of my children named in the will? So the kinds of folks that you can be naming on these beneficiary designations, it may not just be individuals. Maybe somebody passes away and they say, you know what, I have no kids, no family, I'm not married but I want to leave everything to a charity. Are we able to do that with beneficiaries? You bet we can. Or another suggestion I would have is Molly's Wordlinger. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with you on that. I'm not sure that's ethical, but I wouldn't disagree with you on that. <laughs> well, okay. I just I just thought I would throw that out. I don't know. When when I suggest that, clients usually laugh at me. Um, but, but that's okay. Um, so what but, happened? Yeah, you, you bet. We can have charities. Um, uh, we can have trusts. And that's something we should probably talk about. Absolutely. So if an individual establishes a trust during their lifetime and a substitute for a will... What would we do with the beneficiary designations on an account if we have a revocable living trust? Well, we would probably want, you know, in Colorado, and again, we're, we're discussing Colorado law here, um, uh, you know, we can have a trust be the direct beneficiary. It isn't necessarily the trustee of the XYZ trust. You know, we can have the XYZ trust as the direct beneficiary. But that's very often an important point to make is, yeah, you want it to go to the trust for your kids, not to your kids directly. You know, um, uh, you know, have that life insurance money go to a trust for their benefit because they're three and five, by the way, you know, um, you know, as opposed to them as direct beneficiaries, because then it gets even more complicated in terms of having to set up conservatorships and spend a bunch of extra money. And that's why hopefully these people are in our office for a good trust for their kids in the first place. And from a practicing standpoint, Mark, at least my recommendation to a lot of my clients has been instead of retitling the account into the name of the trust, which you certainly can do, my recommendation for a lot of clients has been just to designate the trust as beneficiary for the sole purpose that it's more convenient. Absolutely. Instead of reissuing checks into the name of the trust, instead of having to go through all the paperwork and retitling, you fill out a beneficiary form and it pays directly to the trust at your death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and in many cases for a lot of clients, that's going to carry out their uh, disposing intent uh, in terms of, yeah, I want it to go into a trust for my kids so that my ex-spouse can't, uh, can't get their hands on the money, or at least I think they, they can't get their hands on the money, uh, or my no-good brother-in-law, or, you know, whoever it is kind of thing. Um, and, you know, and better than guardianships and conservatorships, that money and trust, you know, it can last past 21. It can, you know, we can use it for other things, and it's a lot cheaper and easier to administer than under... Uh, uh, than under a, a conservatorship. Um, so so uh, how often should these things be changed? What do you think, Molly? 
Well, it's dependent on the case. I typically recommend that you at least look at your beneficiary designations every three years. So people trust their financial institutions, right, to make sure that this is done correctly. And it's not always done correctly. So if I recommend that somebody change a beneficiary designation, the first thing I recommend besides changing your beneficiary is to ensure that that happened. So call the financial institution, get proof that it was in fact changed and that it was changed appropriately. And then about every three years, just check in, make sure you've got the beneficiary that you want on that account. And estate planning in general should be looked at about every three to four years. And beneficiary designations are absolutely related to that. They're, they're a big, they're a big part of that. Um, yeah, uh, the, the beneficiary designation that never got changed is a perennial problem on the estate end, you know, the back end uh, of things. You know, the, you know when, I went, when I went to work at a particular employer and I got the 401k or, or, and or I got life insurance, and then I got married, and then I had children, but I still have my cousin as the beneficiary on that life insurance policy, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I've just basically shot myself in the foot uh, regarding that particular asset and where I wanted it to go. So you mentioned major major changes in somebody's life, marriage, having children. What about divorce? We've it's seen cases yeah. come in the office where we have somebody that's passed away. They were divorced five, six years ago, and prior to their divorce, they had named their spouse as a primary beneficiary on an account and never changed it after the divorce. What kinds of things are you seeing in that situation? Well, uh, obviously, they need to, uh, um, you know, change those beneficiary designations uh, uh, as well. I wish uh, they would have. Well, yeah, we, we wish they would have. Now, we, we have statutes here, here in Colorado, 1511-804, um, uh, uh, in fact, Colorado is a uniform probate code state. And uh, so we have statutes here that theoretically, and, and many states have a similar statute, uh, that uh, uh, statutorily uh, terminates certain beneficiary designations upon death. Colorado's is probably a little more expansive in that it, 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 it theoretically reaches life insurance, all kinds of what are called donative conveyances, and that would be PODs and TODs and, and so forth. Um, and theoretically under the statute, uh, again, 1511-804, it's as if uh, my ex-spouse has predeceased me um, and also, it's as if uh, not only my spouse, but my spouse's family has all predeceased me. So if I had a brother-in-law, for example, as a beneficiary, um, you know, my, my ex-spouse's brother, then he also is deemed to have predeceased. Now, I can go back and change that if I want, but it has to be a conscious decision. And yeah, that statute sounds great and everything, but uh, you were telling me before we started to record today that uh, uh, judges and, and uh, like life insurance companies don't always uh, like read and follow the statute. That's exactly right. And I appreciate you using the word theoretically. That is how it is supposed to work. But unfortunately, some financial institutions say we don't have to go by Colorado law. And in other states, that may not be the case. And so we've seen some specifically life insurance companies pay out to an ex-spouse of a decedent because they won't comply with the Colorado statute. And it's really unfortunate. It speaks to the importance of the beneficiary designation and making sure that it is changed appropriately. That ex-spouse, may I add, is probably at that point the last person on the planet that they would really want to get their life insurance money if they had known. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So Mark, let me ask you this. What if there is no beneficiary designation? So if I go into, say, Wells Fargo and I decide to 
create a checking account and they don't ask me who the beneficiary is or I say, you know what, I'm young, I'm not going to die, I'm not going to put one, what happens to that? It's just simply a part of my estate. It's just simply a part of my estate. It's going to be uh, kind of going to the catch-all, if you will, of, of my will or, or if I die without a will in testacy. And it's simply going to uh, become a part of the estate that's, that's going to go to the beneficiaries of my estate, just as if it were a car, just as if it were real estate, you know, pretty much any other kind of asset. And I would argue that... Um, you know, every estate at Leeds, you probably should have an account or two like that because of the poor schmo who is going to be charged with administering my estate someday needs cash to do their job. You know, they need cash to pay my final bills. They need cash to pay my final income taxes uh, and, and expenses of administration. And if the money goes under a beneficiary designation, uh, and this is something older folks do when I, when I, you know, when I mentioned that they run around and hang beneficiary designations on everything, you know, everything, trust me. Um, uh, they, they think they're doing everybody a great big favor, and they're really not, in my humble opinion, because then the, you know, their son, their daughter, who's, who's charged with administering their estate, and not in the contested situation. I mean, these are just routine, you know, estate and trust administration cases. But, um, you know, now all of a sudden, they got a real liquidity problem. You know, and gee, what are they supposed to do? Go borrow money from a bank just to pay mom's final bills because there was no cash in the estate and nobody wants the house sold? You know, or yeah, you know, it makes some choice that nobody really wants just because there's no cash in the estate. And so, yeah, you know, beneficiary designations, yes, they're important, but there's some, in some cases, where you don't want beneficiary designations, in my humble opinion. And I, I appreciate you saying that, Mark, because I don't think all attorneys take that into account, that it takes money to administer estates on the back end and what's going to end up in the estate if everything's paying out to beneficiaries. So that's exactly right. And just as a last point before we end the podcast today, I did want to mention that a lot of financial institutions as a default will just name the estate if there is no beneficiary listed. So having no beneficiary naming the estate really are in essence the same thing. Right, right. Um, insurance companies, it's not necessarily the same thing. Um, and, and there you got to actually have to read the policy. You know, you have to read the You mean contract. I have to read that thing? Yes, yes. All, <laughs> all 18 pages of very small print, um, or however many it is. Uh, but there's probably going to be a procedure in there. And most likely, it's either going to be spouse uh, it's going to be uh, in testacy under the state law of either the policyholder's estate or it could be, you know, uh, the, the state where the company is headquartered, you know, so it could be Delaware law or California law or, 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 or something like that. Um, you know, so it's one of these uh, where, yeah, it may not necessarily go the way you want, um, which gets us back to why this is so darned important. All right. Thank you for joining me for the podcast today, Mark. I really appreciate your expertise and experience. Yeah. So uh, uh, I'm Mark Masters, a trust and estate attorney in Denver. And I'm Molly Zwerdlinger, a trust and estate attorney in Denver as well with Miller & Steyart. Thank you for listening. For more information on this topic and many others, visit cle.cobar.org. CLE.